Let to go to Hebrews chapter 6. So continuing right where we left off. And uh, before we start, we're just going to go ahead and start a few verses back. I'm noticing in every one of these chapters, uh, you kind of have to go back about four or five verses in the previous chapter because it kind of leads into something. And chapter 6, we kind of have a shifting of gears here. And there's a lot of verses in chapter 6. I'm not going to... Um, I'm not going to take the time to read them all and kind of do what I've been doing in previous weeks. But there are a lot of verses in here that people will use to show you can lose your salvation. Or that, you know, depending on where they are uh, doctrinally, that at, there was a time when you could lose your salvation. And that is just not the case. So far, six chapters into this thing, studying it, and I am more convinced than ever that there is nothing in Hebrews that shows anyone can lose their salvation or ever could lose their salvation. And I'm going to, I do not think as we go through the rest of this, my mind is going to be changed on that. And I went and I was listening, I listened to the whole thing, uh, book of Hebrews today uh, on that KJV RVG app. I was listening to the whole thing when I was driving around and I'm listening and you know, I'm hearing those verses that people always use. But it's like once you... Uh, when you understand the context of things, it, it's just not there. And people who are seeing it there, it's because it's what they, either what they want to see or they're just not studying their Bible like they need to and they're not looking at context. But let's go ahead and start reading in chapter 5 in verse uh, 10, talking about Jesus as called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk, and not of strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So right here, in the end of this, he's like, all right, I've got some things I need to show you, but they're hard to be uttered. Senior doll of hearing. Y'all aren't listening. Y'all are acting like babes in Christ. Okay? And what we've been looking at in these first chapters, we've been showing you, he's basically teaching them about salvation, about how to get saved, about how it's just faith in Christ. You know, repentance from dead works, faith in Christ, just trusting Him, ceasing from your labors. I mean, it's real basic stuff that he's showing, that he's been showing them in these first chapters. And he's like, I want to get into some of these deeper things, but you're dull of hearing. And he says, if you, if I have to give you milk, it's because you are unskillful in the word. And he, he mentions in verse, uh, you know, he's telling you, know, you ought to be teachers, but you know, I need, you need to be taught again, the first principles of the oracles of God. That was the need that these people had. They were not growing. Okay. There were many in here that I believe that were saved, but they were not growing. They were not moving on. And there ought to be growth in Christians, but there's not always growth. So now when we get to chapter 6, in verse 1, he says, Therefore, okay, there, what's therefore, therefore, it's, it's talking about, remember, y'all are dull of hearing. There's things I need to tell you, but you know what? You're unskillful. You need milk. But he says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance, from dead works and a faith for God. Okay, that salvation right there, faith, a uh, repentance from dead works. Okay, not repenting of your sins, repenting 
from dead works. That's those who think they're going to heaven because they do good works, because they you know, go to church, because they keep the laws. You need to repent of that and you need to have faith in Christ. And so right here, he's saying, let's leave these things and let's go on unto perfection. Let's move on, all right? So even though before he's told him, you're dull of fear and I'm about to tell you some hard things, he's like, you know what? We're moving on, okay? It's time to move on. Um, you know, and we've got, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to teach you these deeper things, these things that are hard to be understood. We're going to move on, not talking about salvation again, repentance of dead works, faith towards Christ, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead, which would be when the rapture happens, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So he's talking about moving on. Let's go on to the, let's go on to the next class, all right? We've talked enough about salvation. That's what we've been talking about in the previous weeks, just showing how simple salvation is, showing how easy salvation is. There is no work involved. It's all about faith in Jesus Christ. It's about ceasing from your labors. It doesn't get any easier than that, okay? But now we're saved, right? We're saved. We're on our way to heaven. And you know what? I don't believe God wants us to just get saved and never grow. God wants us to bear fruit. God wants us to do good works. We were not saved by works, but we were saved unto good works. God's got a purpose for us. We are here for a reason. And you know what? I shouldn't have to just preach about salvation every week. I shouldn't be trying to get you all saved and, and even just teaching you about your salvation. It's good to do that sometimes. And we're going to continue to do a lot of that. We need to be reminded of the simplicity that's in Christ. So we don't become one of these churches where we all think we're better than everybody, that we think that we're saved because of where we are at in our life. We've got to be reminded of that every now and then. But you know what? Eventually, we need to be able to start getting to the meat. And we need to start telling people, you know, it's time to move on. Let's start growing. Let's start getting better. So now verse 4, he says, so um, he says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open shame. So right here is a passage people use to show, what's that talking about right there? What's that talking about? You know, it says, you know, it talks about those who tasted the good word of God. You know, what does that mean? You know, they tasted, they've been made partakers of the Holy Ghost. You know, I heard somebody say the other day, you know, it's like they tasted it, but they didn't swallow it. You know, you know, like they tasted salvation. No, listen, if you taste salvation, you've got salvation. Okay. You, if you, you don't just, God doesn't just tease you with the Holy Ghost. And then, you know, you didn't do good enough or you didn't have enough faith and then he takes them away. Okay. But what, and this is once again, this is where people kill themselves on their study. They take one verse and they just zero in on it. Man, what does that mean? Well, look at what it says in verse four. It's saying right here, it's like people can't focus on more than three verses at once. It's saying right here, it's impossible for that. Okay. It's impossible. For those who were once enlightened, it's impossible for someone who has been saved, for someone who has tasted of the heavenly gift, 
someone who is, it's impossible for someone who has been a partaker of the Holy Ghost. It's impossible for someone who has tasted the good word of God and the power of the world to come to fall away. Alright? It's impossible. If you've been saved, it is impossible for you to fall away and to get saved again, to renew them under repentance. Because if you did that, you would be putting the Son of God into an open shame. Was His salvation not the work that needed to be done for us? Did He not do all the work? Is that not what we've been talking about in the previous chapters? He did all the work. What do we do? We rest. We cease from our labors. We just have faith in God. And it's impo- if, if that's what saved us, then what in the world could we do to fall away? Okay? If we were able to fall away, if we were able to lose our salvation, it would put him to an open shame. And this passage right here, I mean, to take verse 5 and 6 and to make it look like you could lose your salvation or people one time were able to lose their salvation is just so foolish because verse 4 is saying it's impossible. It's impossible for that to happen. And so it's impossible for you to it's impossible for you lose your salvation, but it is possible for a saved person to not grow. That is very possible. And I and look what it says in verse um well where is it? In verse uh, nine it says, But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation. It's completely appropriate for us as Christians, when we win somebody to Christ, to expect them to grow and to expect growth and to expect to see things happen. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay, And it's like sometimes it's easy to take a reactionary position on something. Okay, You've got the people out there that's like, you know, if you don't go to church, if you don't do this, if you don't do that, you never got saved. Okay? And we believe that whether or not we got saved, it doesn't have anything to do with our works. Okay? And it's all about faith in Christ. And we'll see some more of that here in a little bit. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that we can't expect growth from people. If the Holy Spirit's inside of somebody, if they will walk in the Spirit, they will grow. It's not a guarantee that people are going to grow, but it is an expectation. It's something that I expect. It's something that I hope to see. It's something that, uh, that God wants to see in our lives. And we have every right to expect growth from believers. And as a preacher, I expect that. I want to see growth from the people in our church. I expect that if you've got the Holy Spirit in you, that if you, if I teach you the Word of God and you start following the principles of God, that you will grow. That you will do better. That you will move on. And, and you know what? The reason he's saying it's time to move on. Okay? And the reason he brought that up for it's impossible for those, you know, who've tasted the heavenly gift and all that stuff. He's saying, you know, we need to move on. It's pointless to just keep teaching the beginning things over and over and over again. Why are we doing that? Okay, It's impossible for you to lose your salvation. So why do we need to keep teaching that? Why does it got to be about that all the time? Well, if we're gonna, and if we're going to be that way, if we're going to start teaching people that salvation, whether or not you got saved, is proven by your works in some way, well then you know what? We're going to be like these camp meeting churches where their people and their churches are getting saved over and over again. People are coming forward every year to get re-saved. And in reality, you know, if what they were saying was true, okay, that, that person in that camp meeting church who goes forward and is getting saved every year, right? Now, first of all, are they getting saved every year? No, okay? Either 
they were never saved to begin with or they were always saved and they're just getting confused. Okay? But you understand when people are doing that, they're putting Christ to shame if that were true, what they were doing. But that's not the case. What needs to happen is we need to move on. It can't just be about salvation all the time. I can't be just trying to get you people saved all the time. We need to go on into perfection. We need to be complete. And it's stupid to just keep talking about the salvation over again, trying to get you saved over again, because it's impossible for you to lose your salvation. And so we're going to move on. We're going to talk about things that involve growth. So look at verse 7. It says, For the earth which drinketh in the rain and cometh oft upon it, and bringeth forth herbs, meat for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. So right here in verse 7 through 9, just like the rain, you know, that rain, it reveals what's in the ground, doesn't it? Okay, it, that rain, it waters the ground and it's what helps you know the plants to grow. Whether it be a flower, whether it be a weed, a thorn or a briar, that rain comes on the earth and over time, we're going to find out what's in that ground. We're going to see something grow. We're going to see something come up. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15. Now, it says in verse 15, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, and a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Now, people often take this right here. They'll take this passage. Okay, because I've been saying we don't judge whether or not a person is saved or not by their works. Okay, I've been saying that. And right here, he's saying by their fruits ye shall know them. Now, preachers will often take this and like, you know what? I'm looking at your fruits. You know, I'm seeing the way you talk. I'm seeing the way you act. And that's not good fruit. What are they talking about? They're talking about your works, aren't they? Look at verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So notice two things. In verse 15, He's warning them about false prophets, okay? He's warning them about false prophets and he's talking about you're going to know them by their fruits, okay? And then when you read on, when he gets to verse 21, these people who are the false prophets, these ones who Jesus never knew, notice what they're saying about themselves. They're talking about their wonderful works, aren't they? They're talking about their wonderful works. So is the fruit that God's expecting from us, are they good works? Absolutely not. Because the people who stand before Jesus and they say, you know, look at our good works. He's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. So it's very clear here in Matthew chapter 7 that these works, or this, or the, not these works, these fruit that God expects, it's not 
our physical works. It's not our good works. What's he talking about? Well, he mentions in verse 15, you know, he warns about false prophets. Okay? Remember, you know, beware of false prophets. We see Jesus before he mentioned, you know, beware of the leaven of the scribes and Pharisees. What was he talking about? He was talking about their doctrine. Okay? The fruit that we should, we would expect to see from a saved person is going to be good doctrine. Okay? Not good works, good doctrine. Our works are nothing. Okay? Any good works that we do, it's not us that do it, it's the Holy Spirit that does it. Okay? It's talking about doctrine. And most people, they look at work or behavior as evidence of salvation, but we're supposed to look at doctrine. Look at Matthew chapter 13 and verse 37. It says, He answered and said unto them, He that soweth a good seed is the Son of Man, and the field is the world, and good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil, the harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. And therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of the world. So right here we've got, you know, you've got the wheat and the tares, okay? What's going to happen to the tares at the end of the world? They're going to be burned, okay? The wheat's going to be gathered up and is going to be taken, in, is going to be taken into heaven. Look what John, uh, John chapter 15 and verse 4. John chapter 15 and verse 4. It says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered and men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. All right. So we see once again that, you know, those who aren't saved, those who uh, are not abiding in Christ or those who are not in Christ, they are going to be burned. And it's very clear. Matthew chapter seven, you know, it's those who are claiming their works. Okay. And what is it that gets us to heaven? Okay, It's our faith in Christ, right? Not our works. Over and over again it's mentioned. Not our works. It is faith in Christ. And the fruit that God wants us to bear, I believe, is souls being saved. God wants to see souls being saved. But how are we going to get souls saved? We've got to give them the truth of the gospel, don't we? And if we're going and we're teaching people a works-based gospel, are we going to be producing fruit? No, we are not. If we're, if we're going and we're giving people the gospel, then people... Some people are going to have faith. They're going to believe and they're going to be saved. And that's the fruit that God wants. And we're not going to win anybody to the Lord with bad doctrine. We're not going to lead anybody to the Lord. We're not going to bear any fruit with a false gospel. The only way we're going to bear fruit is through the preaching of the gospel of Christ. That's it. That's the only way to do it. Lifestyle evangelism. I've talked about that before. Lifestyle evangelism is counterproductive. Lifestyle evangelism, it gets people focusing on our works. That is the last thing we want them doing. Because one, if we do a really good job, they're going to be seeking after our righteousness instead of the righteousness of Christ. If we do a sorry job with works, they're not going to want to listen to our message. Okay, So understand the last thing we want people doing is looking too close at us and looking too close at our works. We want them looking at Christ's work and that's by what the gospel is all about. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What is that? That is the work of Christ. 
So understand that this fruit that I expect from a saved person is that they're going to have good doctrine. That they are going to be preaching the truth of the Gospel that will get people saved. That's it. It's not about the works. And you've got one crowd today that they always, they're always looking at you know, another crowd and talking about their works. And there's no way they're saved. They do this. They do that. They look like this. They look like that. And we, you know, we jump all over that. But then you know, people like me, I'll call out you know, certain preachers who have a lot of good works. Who do a lot of good things, but have some horrible, wicked doctrine. And I'll say, these people are on their way to hell. Not based on their good works or bad works. Based on their doctrine. They do not have good fruit. They, are bring, they, they have corrupt fruit. They're preaching a false gospel. And therefore, their converts are false converts. And as a, as a preacher, you know, it's pretty discouraging sometimes when you talk to people. You know, they've been going to church for a long time. And you start talking to them about doctrine and stuff. And it's clear they haven't even got salvation figured out. I mean, they think you can lose your salvation. It's discouraging when people hear that because how could a saved person come to that conclusion? And it really makes you it makes you doubt yourself their salvation in many times. And so, how, well, how do we know? You know, over time, okay, as the rain comes in the earth, it reveals what's in that ground. It reveals what kind of seed is in that ground. And you know what? Over time, we're going to find out. Over time, as we start getting to know people, we're going to start hearing things come from their mouth. And if bad doctrine is coming from people's mouth, then it's because there's, that's when we know there's something wrong. It's not about the behavior. It is about the doctrine. And so no matter what my works are, you know, they're going to burn. Okay. But I'll still be saved. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 13. It says, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he has built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. Yet so is by fire. Okay, so if I do some good works while I'm here on earth, I'll receive a, I'll receive an extra reward for those. But what if I, all my works are burnt? What if every all my works are wood, hay, and stubble? But I've got faith in Christ. The Bible says I will still be saved. Yet so is by fire. I won't have any rewards, but I will still be saved. Okay, and there's many Christians that are out there who are saved. They have faith. But they have no works. Okay, They have no good fruit. They have not told anybody how to get saved. They've not led anyone to the Lord. They've not been obedient to God. And therefore, their works are all going to burn up. But notice how they're still saved. They're still going to be going to heaven. And right here, I believe in Hebrews chapter 6, when he's talking about these things here, he's showing them, he's talking about you know when the earth drinketh in the rain, Okay? He's just saying, you know, over time, we're going to see what kind of seed is in that ground. And over time, we're going to find out what's in the heart of people. We're going to, we're going to notice their doctrine. It's not going to be able to help but come out. 
Some of these false prophets that are out there. I mean, you know, they say a lot of things that are true, but you know what? Over time, you listen to these people enough, you start finding out what they're really all about. They start revealing what's really in their heart. They start revealing who they really are. They can't help it. You know why? Because over time, that rain, it's going to cause those things to spring up. And these people, they've got thorns and they've got briars springing up. And it's because these people are lost. Okay? They, they do not have uh, Christ in their heart. They do not have the Holy Spirit. And that's why their doctrine is so bad. And all some people have. All some people have is works. And you know what? That will get them in hell. But there are some people, all they have is faith. Literally, all they've got is faith. No works. That will get them into heaven. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 10, it, it says, um, For the day of the Lord shall come as a thief, will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Okay, So the works, they're all going to burn. They're all going to burn. They're no, they're no good. They're not going to get anybody into heaven. And so we, we need to understand, though, faith will get people into heaven. And what he's talking about here in verses uh, 7 through 9 is he's just saying, you know, we're going we're gonna to see the fruit. God saved us. He wants us to bear fruit. What does that mean? He wants us to get people saved. Well, we're not going to get anybody saved with our good works. We're not going to get anybody saved because we go over to Africa and dig a well. We're not going to get anybody saved because we go to the soup kitchen and we feed bums. We're not going to get anybody saved because of that. You know why we're going to get people saved? We're going to get people saved because we give them the gospel, the true gospel. That's where fruit comes from. That's what God wants us to do. Yes, He wants us to do some work. He wants us to do works too so we can be rewarded. Okay, But that uh, right there is what those passages are talking about. So the things that accompany salvation would be the good fruit, people being saved, or good doctrine. Look at Philippians chapter 3 and verse 17. Philippians 3 and verse 17 says, Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mine earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working, whereby He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. So notice this here too. He's talking about people who are enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, why were these people enemies of the cross? Because these people were trying to add works to salvation. They didn't think that the cross was enough. you got to have some works too. So he says these people are enemies of the cross. And you know what their problem was? They mind earthly things. What's that? What are those earthly things? Things like the circumcision, you know, the keeping the Sabbath, just doing all these good works. Those are earthly things. But our conversation, he said, is from heaven. Well, what does that mean? Our testimony is not our righteousness. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is our testimony. That is what, that is our conversation. It is in heaven. And notice too how he mentions in this, 
that he is going to change our vile body. Pointing out the fact, once again, that we are no good. That we are still vile. But yet, we are the ones that are going to heaven because of our faith in Christ. But here you've got people who are minding earthly things. It's all about the works. They had camp meeting preachers back then telling everybody, no church, no salvation, all these things. Minding earthly things. These people are enemies of the cross of Christ. You know what? It's not about my works. It's not about my testimony. My testimony is in heaven. What does that mean? My testimony, my conversation is Jesus Christ. I don't need to tell you about what I did. I will tell you about what Jesus Christ did. That is what, that is what salvation is all about. And so the things that accompany salvation, okay, what I am expecting to see, I expect to see people bring forth fruit and I expect, I expect good doctrine. I have every right to expect that from people who are saved to hear good doctrine coming from them. Somebody who says they're saved, someone who says they have faith, but they say that they do not, they eventually come along and say, I don't believe that Jesus was God. Well, I'm sorry. I'm going to doubt that person's salvation. Somebody who says that they are saved, but later they come along and they're like, you know what? I think you can lose your salvation. I'm going to doubt that person's salvation. I'm persuaded better things, things that accompany salvation. I expect good works. I don't expect to have you coming and getting saved over and over again because you think you can lose your salvation. I'm persuaded better things. It's impossible for you to lose your salvation. How have you not figured that out yet? Okay, if you figured out that you got you could get saved by faith in Christ without works, what makes you think works will keep you saved? Somebody who thinks that was obviously messed up from the beginning. And so I'm going to I'm going to question that. I'm persuaded better things. This is not about behavior. This is not about the fact that, you know, I saw somebody cuss or, you know, something like that, you know, or going to watch a dirty movie. Thing. And we shouldn't do those things, okay? You're going to hurt yourself if you do those things. Those are going to cause you trouble on this earth. It's not going to please God if you do those things. But you know what? I actually do expect that type of behavior from anybody that's in here while you're walking in the flesh. If you walk, you still are made out of the same flesh that you were before you got saved. And I fully expect you to do those bad works if you're walking in the flesh. And you know what? So we're going to preach. You need to walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit so you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And any preacher that gets up and uses the fact that somebody was walking in the flesh is proof that they were not saved. That's just not biblical. And it sends a lot of wrong messages that will really mess people up. And so we got to watch out for that. So look at what it says in verse 10, back in Hebrews chapter 6. It says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward His name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So some people might take these verses right here and say, you know, you gotta be firm. You know, you gotta hope unto the end. You know, you've gotta have patience. You know, to inherit the promises. And so they'll use that, and they'll all of a sudden start applying those verses to salvation. 
But this right here, all that is right there in verses 10 through 12, it's a reminder that those who remain faithful will inherit promises. Okay? What are those promises? Well, we'll see here in just a moment, but right here, okay, not, not the promise of salvation. Okay? God's given us a lot of promises, hasn't He? And I'm going to prove to you it's not about salvation here in just a second. But He's just telling these people here, you know, we expect things from you that accompany salvation. We expect you to do good. We expect you to get people saved. We expect you to have the right doctrine. You know, it's, it's okay too to expect people to start fixing their behavior, start improving on their behavior. And you know, when we do those good works, okay, he's encouraging them here and he's reminding them, listen, God is not going to forget about your labor of love. Be patient. God's going to reward you. Okay. And then there's a lot of rewards that God's promised for us if we're faithful. Well, how long is faithful? Well, it means doing it forever. Okay. You know, I'm not, I'm not a faithful pastor if I'm faithful for five years and an unfaithful one year. That's not faithfulness. I'm supposed to continually be faithful. I'm not a faithful husband. We've been married for almost 17 years now. Okay, I'm a faithful husband right now, but do you realize if I'm unfaithful tomorrow, I'm now not a faithful husband, am I? And I'm not going to get the rewards of being a faithful husband. When it comes to my wife, it's going to cause a lot of problems. And if we want the rewards, if we want to receive the promises of faithfulness, then we've got to stay firm. We've got to hope unto the end. We can't stop. We can't quit. You need to keep doing the things that God said to do. You need to keep on being obedient. You need to keep doing what He told you to do, expecting that one of these days you will get what He promised you. And we might get some of these things before we die. We might not get any rewards until we get to heaven. But either way, just understand, God is not forgetful. He will not forget about your labor of love. Those things that you've done for other people, He remembers those things. He's keeping track of those things. And He is going to reward you, but you got, you got to stay faithful. You could throw it all away. I wonder how many people have thrown away some of the blessings of God. Maybe they were a week or a month away from getting them and they just gave up. They gave up one month too soon, one week too soon. If they would have just stayed faithful, they would have received the promises. So look at verse 13. It says, for when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely blessing, I will bless thee, and multiplying, I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Okay? After he impatiently endured, he obtained the promise. Is that talking about salvation? Absolutely not. And I will prove that you do not endure to get salvation. If that was the case, then we need to erase those last five chapters that we looked at. Okay? And I'll show you exactly what he's talking about because in this passage right here, he's quoting Genesis chapter 22. Go ahead and turn back to Genesis chapter 22 and let's start reading in verse 15. What was it that Abraham patiently endured? What was this promise that he received? It says in Genesis 22:15, and the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time, and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. 
that passage it was quoting, it was what God told Abraham after he patiently endured. What was that? He went he was going to offer his son, wasn't he? He was going to sacrifice his own son. And after he did that, after he showed himself faithful, God guaranteed him the promise of multiplying his seed as the stars of heaven. He, he, you know, he fulfilled that. That had to have been tough. Okay? Abraham was going to do it. He was going to do what God said. He patiently endured. He did the right thing. And so he received the blessings. Because the truth is, Abraham was roughly 140 years old when this happened. Abraham got saved, when, I believe, when he was around 70 years old. Okay, look at what it says in Romans. Um, I hope I put that passage in here. Uh, Romans chapter 4 says, Blessed is a man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Okay, once again, showing that someone who has sin, it's not held against them. Showing once again, it's not about our works. It says, Cometh this blessedness upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. Abraham was a hundred when he received the circumcision. Okay? He's 140 when he went to offer his son Isaac. It was before the circumcision that Abraham got saved. It says in verse 11, And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal, the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. They would get credited for righteousness, even though they didn't have works, even though they hadn't been, you know, even the, you know, done the work of the circumcision. And the father of the circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. So it is very clear, you know, Abraham, he was saved many years before Isaac was even born. He was saved probably 70 years before he received the promises. Okay? And because of, of his faith. So Abraham, he was saved first and later received promises of blessings. Why? Because he was faithful. Because he did what God wanted him to do. Because he was obedient. Because of his works that he did. He ended up receiving blessings. Not salvation. He already had it. And when it comes to <clears throat> your works, now that you're saved, okay? Now that we're moving on, alright? We're moving on. We're, we're, we've got salvation figured out. We're saved. We're on our way to heaven. We understand why we're saved. We understand how we got saved. And you know what? Let's move on to perfection. You know what? Let's start having good works. Let's get good doctrine. Let's start bearing fruit. Let's start seeing people get saved. Let's start doing good works. And we're going to keep preaching about these things. And we're going to encourage you. Do the works. Do the works. Why do we need to do those works? So you can receive the blessings that come from those. But I don't like doing the works. They're no fun. It's hard to do the right thing in this wicked world. But if you'll do those works, if you'll just keep on enduring, if you'll just be patient and just hang on to the end, God will give you the rewards that you will receive the promises. You will receive the blessings. God's not going to forget about your labor of love. 
He's, he's not going to forget about the things that He promised you. When God swore to Abraham, He couldn't swear to any greater than Himself. So He just swore by Himself. He swore, swore by His own name and said, man, I'm going to bless you. And sure enough, God did His part. And God has promised us that if we will do works, that He will reward us. If we do right, if we're faithful, that He will bless us. And there is no, there should be no doubt in our mind that if we stay faithful, if we do what God said, we will receive the promises. We will receive the blessings. Is any of this about salvation here? No. We've moved on. Okay? We're not talking about salvation anymore. Okay? We're going on. We're going on unto perfection. And I don't have time to go to all the examples of it, but many times in the Bible when it talks about, you know, here is my love perfected. When we take what we've been given and we give it to someone else, that's when it's perfected. You know what that's called? That's called, you know, reproduction. Okay? When you, God loved us while we were yet sinners. God was merciful to us when we didn't deserve it. God did not want us to take that love and that mercy and then do nothing with it. You know what He wanted us to do? He wanted to take what we were shown, what we were given, and He wants us to give it to somebody else. That's called reproduction. And then that person needs to go and do the same thing. When we receive salvation, we got saved because somebody preached the Gospel to us. Somebody gave us the Gospel freely and we got saved. If you paid $1 for your salvation, okay? If a preacher came to your house like, pay me $10 to tell you how to get to heaven. You know? If, if, you, if, if you think you had to pay some money to get to heaven, understand you, know, you didn't get it. You didn't get salvation. When you got it, you got it for free. And when you take that and you give that same gospel to someone else and they get saved, you have now reproduced. You have now, you've, you've borne fruit. Now you have been perfected. You're complete. And that's what we need to continue doing. And that's what he's telling us here in chapter 6. These are the things that accompany salvation. And we need to make sure they are a part of our life. So look at what it says in verse 16. It says, For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promises the immutability of His counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made an high priest forever at the order of Melchizedek. So God, trying to be, trying to be good, is trying to help us out because God wants us to get the rewards. God wants us to receive the promises. Okay, He's cheering us on. Okay, I remember my dad when we were younger, a lot of times he would like throw these challenges out to us so we could like get money or something like that. And it was usually ones that were pretty hard to do. You know, I don't think he wanted us to win. I remember I had a big pile. And I, I've done that with my kids too. I had a big uh, pocket full of quarters one time. And I went and I flipped the coin. I was going to play a trick on Jason. He was real little. And I was like, you want all this money in my pocket? And he's like, yeah, I want it. And so I went, I flipped the coin. So he's thinking he's going to guess heads or tails. And then I flipped and I said, guess the date or the year. And he got it right. <laughs> And I had to give him like $5 worth of quarters. And I was like, Whoa. 
I had to do it. Everybody was there when I, they all saw me make the promise. And I gave it to him. But you understand that, you know, the intention of that little game was for him to lose. Okay? I did not, I did not expect him to win that. I wasn't helping him out. With God, God's given us promises. He's made blessings available for us. And He has done everything He can to make it possible for us to get those. He wants us to get them. He wants us to get the rewards. He wants us to receive the promises. So you know what? I'm going to help him out. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make him a promise. I'm going to make him a sure promise. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, because of the fact that I promised this, it's impossible for me to lie. That means if I promise them something, they, they know that it is impossible for me to not receive the blessings. It is impossible for me to not get what God told me I was going to get. You know, we can take comfort in that in our salvation too, because the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That means it's impossible for me to go to hell. Because I called on the Lord for salvation. It's impossible. And I can take comfort in that. I can be steadfast and sure, like it says in, that, in verse 19 there, like the song says, we have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. When things are tough, when things seem to be working against us, when it doesn't look like you know, if things are right, when it doesn't look like it's working, when it doesn't look like God's going to be able to come through, we have an anchor. We have a promise that from God, it's impossible to lie. He swore. He couldn't swear by any greater. We normally swear by the greater, but there is no greater than God. So he swore by himself. And there is no doubt that we are, we are going to go to heaven. And understand too, what, look what it says in verse um, 19. Uh, it says, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made an high priest ever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, why did he throw this in here? I believe he threw it in there because of the fact, once again, remember these people, they were, they were Jews. They were used to, you know, those constant uh, sacrifices, those yearly sacrifices that need to be made, which he's going to talk about later in this passage. And so he's trying to show, he's trying to show them here that, hey, listen, our high priest, he's gone in there. He, he went in behind the veil. And you know what? He's not going to do like maybe some of the priests in the Old Testament. He's not going to drop dead in there. All right. He did it. He did the work of the high priest for us. He did these things. He did these things on our behalf. He is a priest forever. He's not going to die. He will always be the high priest. And so he's saying all this here to show that, listen, Jesus did these things for us. He's not going away. These promises are going to be kept. There is no reason to doubt these things at all. And that, my friends, is why we, you know, we don't just preach salvation. That is why we try to preach the whole counsel of God. That's why we preach hard against sin. That's why even though salvation is not at works, we are going to try to get you all doing the works. Why? Because if you do these things, there's promises that come with them. There's blessings that come with them. Blessings that you are guaranteed to get. You know, there's some investments and things that are out there that, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put a lot of money in and I definitely wouldn't try to get somebody else to put their money in and do it. I'd be scared it wouldn't come through. That it wouldn't, that it wouldn't be a sure thing. And I would hate to get somebody to invest all their money into something and then that stock or whatever crash and burn and they lose all their money. But you know what? 
I have no problem, no problem at all, getting up and screaming at the top of my lungs that you ought to obey the Bible. You ought to do the works. You need to do what God said to do because there is no doubt, there is, there is a guarantee that you will receive the blessings of these things if you'll stay faithful. Don't give up. Don't quit. All right? If you do that, then you're not going to get the blessings. Okay? You'll, you'll still go to heaven, but you won't get the blessings. And God wants us to have the blessings. I want to receive the blessings. So Hebrews 6, I believe it's the writer. It's encouraging those who are saved to move on and go forward and to grow in Christ. And as, as a church, we're going to preach about works, you know, not as a means of salvation, but so we can grow and receive the blessings that come from serving the Lord. So once again, chapter 6, clearly... No place losing salvation. In fact, it shows it right in there. People would just read, you know, verse four that it's impossible. So there, it, it would, it was, it, when it, the reason it's saying that is because it would be pointless for us to only ever talk about salvation and never encourage people to start growing and moving forward. Why do we need to do that? If you're all saved, why do we need to keep harping on that? Why do I need to keep Beating you over the head with that. It's not like you're going to lose it. If you were to be able to lose it, you would be putting Jesus Christ in open shame. That's not going to happen. So you know what? Let's start teaching. Let's start teaching the next things. Let's start teaching about doing the works. Let's start teaching about good doctrine. Let's start talking about bearing fruit and encouraging people to go and bear fruit. And you know, if you don't want to bear fruit, if you don't want to get involved in reproducing and seeing people saved, then you know what? Why are you here? You know, many people are sitting in churches today thinking I need to be faithful to church because I want to go to heaven. That's not going to get you to heaven. And if you have no intention of bearing fruit and doing good works, what in the world are you doing here? You could be sitting at home tonight watching television, you know, with your feet up on a lazy boy. That, you could be doing that. You'll accomplish just as much to get to heaven doing that as you will going to church. Okay? But no, we're here because we want to grow. We want to do the good works. We want to be faithful because you know what? We're convinced that there's promises of blessings for being faithful and we want in on those. And so you know what? Who cares what's on television tonight? You know, who cares how comfortable my lazy boy is? I want to go to heaven and or I, now I want to go to heaven. I want the rewards when I get to heaven. I want I want to receive those things. And there is no doubt if I stay faithful, I keep on for God. I will receive the rewards. And so I hope that was an encouragement to you. And so let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for all your blessings. We thank you, Lord, for the promises. Lord, I pray you'll help us to just take these verses, Lord. And I, I pray that we'll rest in them that we'll realize, Lord, it's impossible. You, you can't lie. You're not able to do it. You're not capable of it. Lord, and you have promised us some great things if we'll be faithful. And I pray, Lord, as, uh, you know, temptations come our way and as, uh, the devil tries to deceive, Lord, that we will just rest in your word and we'll just keep on enduring, that we will patiently endure like Abraham did. And, uh, Lord, I, I don't have to ask that you'll, uh, give us the promises. You've already promised that you will. So, Lord, I just ask that you'll help us to do our part and remain faithful until your return. In your name we pray. Amen.